0: ...your life to Jesus Christ, having accepted Jesus as your Lord and the Savior of your life, and repented, meaning turning away of your sins. You are therefore a Christian. And so, the title is, Who Are You? And then we're going to be talking about identity. So in the movie, The Overcomer, John is the main character. He visits a hospital, unexpectedly he walks into a hospital room, meets a man named James. James is blind. James is sick, and his body is in that hospital room. John, again, the main character, he is the history teacher at a local high school that he works at. He's also the basketball coach, very passionate about the sport of basketball. Due to um, uncertain circumstances uh, of the basketball team, financial issues, so a lot of the team members had to move away, therefore the basketball team was not able to have a team that year. A door opened for a need for a coach for the cross-country team. Shout out to all the cross-country runners out there. And so he fulfilled the need, but he wasn't passionate about cross-country. And so he was kind of venting to James. He'd go back and visit James. He would vent to him, tell him, like, you know, there's chaos in my life, this, this, and that. And James kind of pressed him. And James asked him a question, and I want to read you guys the script of their conversation. James said to him, John, if I asked you who you are, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? John Or John would answer and say, I'm a basketball coach. And James would say, okay. Now, if we strip that away from you, who are you? John says, well, I'm also a history teacher. And James says, okay. We take that away. Who are you? John John says, well, I'm a father. I'm a husband. And James says, God forbid that should ever change. But if it does, who are you? And then John says, I'm a white American male. And James laughs and says, that's for sure. Is there anything else that you are? And John says, well, I'm a Christian. James says, well, what's that mean? And John says, it's a, it means you're a follower of Christ. And then James says, and how important is that to you? And James says, it's very important. Or John says, it's very important. And James goes on to say, interesting how it's so far down your list. And then James goes on to explain that your identity will be tied to whatever you give your heart to and that something or someone will have first place in your heart. But when you find your identity in the one who's created you, it'll change your entire perspective. And in the text that I want to read to you, Paul's speaking to the church at Corinthians about the ministry that God's given him. And he mentions um, being a new creation, a new creation in Christ. And like I said before, it's making that decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and repent from your sins. Therefore, you're a brand new person. The old is put behind you, and now the new is to look forward to and to live out. And so I think it's very important that as a Christian, as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's important to know your identity, know who God says you are as a Christian. And so I want to read to you our main text, which is 2 Corinthians, five, uh, fourteen through seventeen, in the New Living Translation. It says, Paul speaking, he says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves, instead. They'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life is gone has began. So let's lay a foundation look firstly at the problem of a false identity. So first and foremost, what is identity? The definition of identity is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. It's who you are. And a widespread issue in people's lives is with identity. And there are many Christians who live not knowing their true identity in Christ. It's, it's true that you can be saved by the grace of God, living for God, but not know who God says you are as his child. So my goal here tonight is to bring you the word and share with you some scriptures of who God says you are as a child of God, as a Christian. Because it's inevitable that in living for God, your identity as a Christian is going to be challenged. And I want to share an example with you. We can see in Luke 4 how the devil even tried Jesus testing his identity. When Jesus was sent out into the wilderness, he fasted 40 days, 40 nights, and the devil tested him. Luke 4, 3-4, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus countered it with the truth, therefore he overcame, he rebuked him. Just as Jesus used the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, we are to use the exact same sword that he's given to us against the lies the devil brings against us to try to get us to have, to believe, put our faith in a false identity. And this is why it's so important to read the Bible and know who God says you are, because it's not enough for somebody to tell you who you are. You have to see for yourself in the word of God who God says that you are, and therefore allow the roots of your true identity to grow into your heart, which causes stability, causes, con- or, uh, causes confidence, causes a boldness in knowing who you are because the enemy, can, he's a condemner. He will bring thoughts that, are, that we entertain, thoughts of compromising, thoughts of, of getting us to believe we're unworthy and God doesn't love us, this, this, and that. But it's completely contrary to the Word of God when God tells us who we are as a Christian and His child and so those things are completely false, completely wrong. And so the point here is when you know and are grounded in your identity as a Christian, therefore, you will have a stability against those assaults that come against you. There will be a stronger, a more capacity to, to stand in the midst of that hellfire. And a false identity can be brought with us into salvation if we're not careful to consider ourselves dead to the old life. Verses 14 and 15 of our text, it says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we've all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Paul tells us that we should die to the old life. Meaning we no longer identify with that past lifestyle. 2 Timothy 2.11, this is a faithful saying, For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If you were a thief, an alcoholic, a druggie, an adulterer, a perverse person, a sorcerer, a lawless person, you no longer identify as that because you've literally died to the old life. I'm leaving that behind. When I got saved personally, I... It was like the lights turned on right at once. And so I wanted to die to the old life. I considered myself dead to the occult and witchcraft. No longer wanted anything to do with it. That night, on that Wednesday night, I left here from church. Me and Nelson went right to my house. I took down the Hindu uh, mural on my wall at home. I took all of my occult and oneness and uh, Gandhi books and, and uh All these occult books. And I got them all packaged up in a big bin, or a bag, um, rather. And I didn't have any time to burn them. I I didn't want to waste no time. We went up to the local gas station, threw them right in the bin. I don't even think it fit. I put the cap right on top of the bag. And I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted to die to that old life. I wanted no longer to identify as a child of the occult. No longer identify with Buddhism, Hinduism. Nothing to do with any of that. Because... I, I consider I made a decision. I'm dead to that. I'm living for Christ. I am a new creation in Christ, and and I tell you after that, like you know, the reality of God, the reality of the devil, the reality of heaven and hell was real to me. But that didn't mean I I knew, had the knowledge. That didn't mean I knew who God of creation thinks of me. That didn't mean that I knew. What he said about me, I had to, in my Bible reading, know what God, how God views me. I had to see that he views me as the righteousness um, in christ and and uh sanctified through christ and uh and some other things that we 'll look at a little bit later in this in this sermon. But when you die to something, the point is when you die to something, that means all connections are cut it 's no longer you 're worthy to even give thought to and and if we 're if we bring these definitions of ourselves from the old lifestyle into our salvation, we also bring about the issue of identifying ourselves falsely because i'll I'll tell you straight up like you know the enemy would always try to bring up things in my life after I got saved that no, you still identify with this you and this and that from your old lifestyle, but as I grew in christ, there's more of a more of a stability and a groundingness that that I was able to reflect with the shield of faith those assaults when they came against me. And so the, one, the life that we once lived was lived for the self, right? That's what brought about the lies we believed in the first place, resulting in believing a false identity. A false identity. False is not the truth. So therefore, believing a false identity is believing something that you are not, not your true Identity, because true identity can only be found in the one who's created us. In the Bible, it tells us the lifestyle, what that lifestyle of living for the self looks like. In Galatians five nineteen through twenty one, New Living Translation says, "When you follow the desires, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear: sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling." Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God because that's a lifestyle lived for the self. That's a lifestyle motivated by passion. We live in a generation where everybody's chasing their passions, every, or, um, everybody's chasing um, their lustful ple- or pleasure. Pleasure is the word. Everybody's chasing their pleasure. Everybody's trying to find pleasure in all different types of things. Nobody's satisfied. They attain the money and they want more. They attain the car and they just want more and more and more. But how many of us know that when you are a new creation in Christ, you are satisfied, completely satisfied? Before I was saved, I had an online business that I was always chasing money. It was never successful, but I was always blinded, chasing money, chasing money, chasing money, chasing money. money. Right up until the point where I got saved, it was just starting to like, you know, we were, we were breaking even and it was, it was going to be good. I'm seeing all these kids on YouTube that are buying Ferraris, young kids my age, and, and they're all living in California, of course, and they're flashing this showbiz lifestyle. I was never satisfied, never, until I had enough money to be able to buy all that material stuff. But let me tell you, when I got saved, I was satisfied. I said, to my best friend Aiden, who had the the business, I, who was my p- business partner, I said, "Take the whole thing. I'm I'm out of that." And he was like, "What? Really? You're out?" I'm like, "Yeah, completely gone. I'm satisfied now. I'm good." And so it would have nice, been nice to still have that, but <laughs> but at that time it wouldn't have been good for me. So sin blinds us from knowing who God created us to be, okay? So let's move on. Let's talk secondly about not understanding your identity in Christ. So we looked first at the the issue, the problem of, of a false identity, not believing something you're not truly. And now we're going to look at a consequence of that, is not understanding your identity in Christ. And this can give us a corrupt view of who God is. And if our perspective of who God is is corrupt, then we're not going to be able to understand our true identity. In verse number 16 of our text, Paul says, So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Paul explains that at one time their perspective of God was from a human point of view. But when we die to the old life and become a new creation, our perspective is transformed. The way we talk, act, view others, and the way we view God is completely transformed. Now understand our true identity in Christ is dangerous because it makes us vulnerable to the devil's lies. In John 8, 44, it talks about the devil when it says, he's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. He's a liar and the father of lies. The devil's crafty. He's an opportunist. I give him no credit, but he's always looking to feed us with lies f- from hell and to get us to believe something that we are not. Why? Because if he can believe, get us to believe in the wrong identity by believing his lies such as, I'm not a child of God. God can't forgive my sins. I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm, I will never change. I'm just a fool and a loser. Then we allow him a seat at our table. I remember I had a customer when I worked at ADT. This lady, I went into her house, and I'm an in, I'm an installer slash salesman. I do both in the house, and I walk in there with the whole kit. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to put the security system up. The basic system is what she wants: a couple of doors and the thing on the wall. And so she's, um, so I'm putting it together, and she's like, well, I need a. Uh, they keep breaking in. I'm like, who's breaking in? She's like. They keep breaking in. They're coming in the window. I'm like, who's coming in the window? And she's like, do you believe in uh, extraterrestrial beings? And I'm like, here we go, man. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I get through my whole thing. I, I just go forward with the job. I don't really get into it right then and there. And... um and so I get done with the install. She's still going on telling me they're hiding their, the phone, the cell phone on her. They're stealing stuff from the house and messing with her. And, I, you know, I, I'm a new convert. I know this is demonic. These are demons messing with her and breaking into the house and, and stuff like that. So I'm about to leave the house and I get done and everything. And I see she's got one of the, the books that um, was the first book that I ever read. It was The Secret. It was the first book I ever read on the occult. And It was law of attraction. Believe, think it, believe it, in uh, in a very demonic, twisted way. And it wasn't like a book of you know casting spells, putting the spirit of death on people. But it was a book of you know think any material and believe that you have that material and you can you can have it. And so when I got done reading that book, it just like was a demonic revelation that I had the knowledge that nobody else had. But anyways, I knew I'd seen that book there, and so I got into it with her. And I said that those are demonic spirits. and She also had a Bible and I was like, that right there is the Word of God. That can set you free. Jesus is the truth. And she says, when I read that book, sometimes the pages flip on their own. And uh, they tell me I'm a child of Satan. And I told her, that's a lie from hell because if you are a child of God, that's, that's a lie. That is not your identity if you're a new creation in Christ and so the devil will always try to get us to believe these lies, always try to get us to, to not know our true identity, not know that we are right in God's eyes. He wants us to think and be uh, filled in our minds with condemning thoughts. So how do you defeat lies? You defeat these lies with the complete opposite, which is truth. Truth. How did Jesus respond when he was tempted? Three times in the wilderness. Every single time, how did he respond? What are the first words? It is written were the first couple words that he would say. Every single time. What's he referring to? He's referring to the word of God. The word of God, because truth triumphs lies. He was referring every single time that the word of God is how we respond to the devil. Right? Right? When he brings those fiery arrows, those fiery darts at you, you command him to take his hands off of whatever he's assaulting, finances, your mind, whatever it is, your children, your health. You command him and you use Scripture because that's a sword and power is released. It's activated when you pick up your sword and you choose to fight him. We need to engage in the battle. And not understanding our true identity can cause one to have a wrong view of how God views us. An example is Moses when he thought he wasn't qualified to do what God wanted him to do. We all know God unfolded this story before Moses, this amazing plan to deliver his people out of bondage in Egypt. God heard their cries. He wants to bring them into a blessed state. And we know that God wanted Moses to speak to Pharaoh, and this is how Moses responds. Exodus 3, verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses seen himself as unqualified for this, but God seen him differently. As a child of God, you're qualified to do anything that God tells you to do. Another example is Peter. Again, Jesus unfolds this amazing plan to Peter after building, or told Peter that he's, he wants to build his church upon him. This is his destiny. Matthew 16, 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This didn't quite settle or sink too deep with Peter yet, because shortly after he denies Jesus, or he denies identifying with Jesus, Matthew 26, verse 75, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who said, To him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. But the grace of God, by the grace of God, Peter went on to fulfill what Jesus said. But the point is, if we don't understand our identity when we become a child of God, it can cause issues in our walk with God. And so moving on, let's look lastly tonight. At your true identity in Christ, because this is the solution. Knowing who God says that we are as a Christian. Verse seventeen of our, or before that I mentioned that it's important that we understand that we're a new creation in Christ. Verse seventeen of our text it tells us this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has began. The New King James Version says a new creation. The, new, uh, the King James Version says a new creature. A new person, creation, or creature means a new identity. When you give your life to Jesus, it's not that you just get re-educated. It's not that you get reformed. It's not that you get uh, rehabilitated. It's be- it's- you literally become a new creation. That's what the term uh, being born again means means you are born again spiritually. The Holy Spirit of God gives you a new life, and that's what makes you born again. You are revived, you're reconciled to God, brought into a, um, a relationship with God that no longer has hostility. You're reconciled through Jesus Christ. The old filth and the garbage is left behind in the old life, and we no longer have a corrupt identity, but have been given the identity that we should have had from the start. So this is really where I got inspired for this sermon in my uh, life application study Bible where it kind of listed out a bunch of scriptures of what it means to be a Christian. And so, I want to tell you what the Bible says about a Christian's identity and just read a few of these for you. Romans three twenty four. It says that we're justified. In other words, we are declared righteous in Christ Okay, Romans 8 in verse number 1, it says that there is no condemnation that awaits us. Therefore there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Romans 8 verse 2 says we tells us we are set free from sin that leads to death. 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 2 tells us we are sanctified or we're made holy in Christ. Where as a Christian, we are holy, pure and holy in Christ. First, that's what 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 says. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 says we are adopted as children, as God's children. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says we are God's masterpiece. We need to understand how God sees us. And that is my challenge here tonight. My challenge is to every Christian to study, Google search scriptures on the Christian's identity, get these things deep-rooted in your heart to understand how God views you as a Christian so when the enemy brings that hellfire, we will be able to counterattack with a left hook. (laughs) It's an incredible blessing an overwhelming privilege to be called a child of God and be a part of His house. We're literally translated from our old life and brought into our new life, completely uprooted from what was before and grounded in the kingdom of God. Colossians 1, 13-14 says, He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins conveyed, translated into a brand new life. The blood of Jesus Christ washes us clean, purges our conscience from dead works. Now we're a new creation to live for God, and when you become a new creation in Christ, you have a responsibility to find out your identity as a new creation in Christ, And then knowing your identity in Christ, like I said before, gives you a boldness and a valiant spirit for the fight that we're in. Ephesians 6.12 gives us a glimpse into the spiritual of the fight that we are involved in. It says, "...for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." While we live in the physical, there's also a war taking place in the spiritual, and what our opponent does not want us to know is our true identity as a Christian. Because, like James said in the movie, when you find your identity in the one who's created you, it'll change your entire perspective. Your confidence strengthens. the way you pray. The way you pray changes. You won't put up with the assaults and the fiery arrows that are thrown at you anymore. You will not put up with it. I was listening to a sermon from um, Pastor Tom Payne, and he was he was saying that there. And I never heard this before. But he was saying there was preachers that were saying, you know, and you know how we get the devil off our back, stop, you know, pouncing on us so much. We stop telling people about Jesus. We stop witnessing. The people. That's how we're going to get the devil to stop. That's completely false doctrine. Because in our fellowship, we have a fighting spirit, right? If the devil is tormenting us in uh, trying to act like we're a boxing bag, we do not compromise. We do not give in. We absolutely say no. And we go out. We take up our sword and we fight and we pray. We fast. We take up spiritual weapons, not carnal weapons, and we use them. We activate those weapons to completely destroy strongholds, destroy fortresses that the devil has tried to make. We go out into the shopping center or in an outreach and and wise as serpents, gentle as doves, say, hey man, has anybody ever told you what Jesus can do in your life? That right there is a weapon Because that person can be a new creation. They can be completely changed. And so that right there is a picture of not this big mighty man ah, with a sword in hand. But that right there, the gentleness, that is aggression against the kingdom of hell that wants to war against us. That's the spirit of our fellowship to keep on fighting on. If Pastor Wayman Mitchell did not have a fighting spirit, we may not be here today. And so that's what we are a part of. We. Absolutely engage in spiritual warfare instead of saying, you know, devil, you know what? I'll make a I'll make a, a deal with you if you stop messing with me. I will stop. I will stop leading outreach. I will stop uh, witnessing and evangelizing to people, and I'll just, you know, come to church, maybe read my Bible sometimes. But no, if you have a fighting spirit, you say absolutely not. I am going to pray more aggressively. Let me tell you, when I pray more aggressively. Things in the spiritual realm, I can recognize, there's breakthrough. Some things we cannot see right away or at all, but there God is working in the spiritual realm on our behalf when we earnestly pray, when we pray with a valiant warrior spirit. And so that leads me into my closing here. I want to use the example of David, even a young kid. I'm talking about young David here, who was valiant, which means he had boldness and bravery Because his perspective of who his God was and his perspective of who he was, was right. In 1 Samuel, the Philistines and the men of Israel were ready to battle each other, one on one side, no man's land in between. And the Philistine had a warrior named Goliath. My Bible says six cubits. I Google search. It's like 11 foot tall. Big dude. He was taunting the men of Israel. 1 Samuel 17, verse 8 says, This is Goliath speaking. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. This is what the devil does to us. He tries to intimidate, tries to get us to paralyze in fear, who are you to think that you can witness some? Who are you to think you can come and pray? Who are you reading the Bible? Who are you thinking you're a child of God because of what you've done? But David did not let this assault prosper because he knew he was a child of God. When David went out to meet Goliath, this is what he said. First Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. He stood stir- He stood firm. He didn't even put on the armor. He said, I haven't even tested this. I'm not even going to put it on. didn't even put on the armor. He went out there, just him. His whole thing. He went out there. He stood courageous, filled with a boldness because he knew who his God was and who his God knew he was. And so he stood firm in his identity. And then David goes and kills the giant. And if David hadn't stood Stood unwavering in his identity as a child of God, he may have been defeated or not have defeated this enemy. And so, what we can take from that is knowing our identity as a child of God. It creates boldness within us. It brings us stability into our lives. It gives us gives us a nevertheless perspective. I remember Pastor Wayman Mitchell. He preached a sermon before it might have been a men's class, and he used the word, nevertheless. In spite of that circumstance in my life, I uh, nevertheless, in spite of that, I am going to serve God. In spite of my financial assault that's happening right now, I am going to pray more earnestly. I'm not going to back down. I'm actually going to uh, get uh, do more of this. And, and you know, I'm not... Uh, I'm trying to promote here more more prayer but i 'm just saying prayer, just pray as an example of a, a weapon to use or fasting for something we 're earnestly contending for, but the point is having a nevertheless in spite of that, I choose to push on forward in spite of the enemy trying to grasp my mind, trying to get me to uh, um, entertain thoughts that if I dwell on them, they might take a deep root and then a lie forms in my heart. I will fight tooth and toenail against that. That's having a valiant, a courageous spirit. And that's a spirit that unfortunately is seeming like left our generation, left the church, but we have a a responsibility, a, a choice to make if we are going to be Christians who really take it serious because there's really nothing else that matters, right? There's really nothing else that matters. We get what? Like maybe on average, what's the average lifespan? 80 years. There's really nothing more that matters in living for God than reading the Word of God. If this is truth, then why not indulge in it and know what the truth is, because there's so many other things out there that are claiming to be the way, but we know the only way is Jesus Christ, and He gave us the Bible, which is the truth. So we have a responsibility to be in this and getting grounded in our hearts the identity that God wants us to have. And so that's what I close with tonight. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. In the presence of God and in respect to the neighbor next to you. Every head bowed, every eye would be closed. Now, if you're here, maybe you're uh, visiting tonight and you are not saved. Okay? Maybe you are searching for the truth. You don't know Jesus Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're searching. In our world today, everybody worships the, the term searching. I'm searching. I'm searching for what the truth is. You will give your heart to something. And I'm going to tell you, there's no fine line. You're either living for the devil, you're either living for the world, or you're living for Jesus Christ. And you might say, I'm not living for the devil. It it might not seem like that, but if you're indulging in the flesh, you're living according to your lustful pleasures day by day, letting that orchestrate your life, your path, your steps then that is living for the world. That's living for the devil. And the Bible declares that that type of lifestyle is not one that will enter the kingdom of God. But listen, there's hope. There's hope because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus Christ. That whosoever, and the question is, are you part of the whosoever? Whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You can be a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. You're here tonight. You're not saved. You're plagued with the guilt, the shame, suicidal thoughts, things that are loosed in our world today that are heavily upon people's hearts and minds. But you want to be set free. You want forgiveness of your sins. You want to be washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm going to ask you with every head bowed, every eye closed to lift up your hand. Put it up. Put it right back down. Just signifying to God, not me. Put your hand up. Put it right back down. Your back slid, and you walked with God at one point in your life, but you've strayed away. How many would there be? Let's lift up your hand. Put it right back down. Praise God. Speaking to Christians, this uh, example of David—he had a valiant spirit, warrior spirit, and that is a spirit that we can have too against the enemy. And with that being said, you know, with searching and uh, looking into our identity. I believe that when you understand your identity, it creates that. It creates that warrior spirit, grounding ourselves in knowing who God uh, says that we are. I'm going to open up the altars. We're going to sing a song. And uh, this is a meeting place with God, so come and pray. Let's stand and uh, sing that song. you mm-hmm. La 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 sha.